Well, good morning again. Lovely to see you all. And uh, guys, I just want to point out, and maybe you can celebrate this with me, I really appreciate the way Matthew and his team stretches us in our worship and challenges us to open ourselves up to God uh, in new ways and, and challenging ways. Do you guys appreciate that uh, with me? Let's give them a hand up. I, um, I, I always feel like I'm being led uh, by by the worship team uh, here, and so and the and the way we're we're uh, praying together more as a family, I I love that. Part of what that means for us this morning is that I'm getting started a little later than usual, and so uh, my choices are to cut the sermon by about ten minutes and get you out on time, or to not to. Um, and man, I think what we're talking about today is too important. So just so you know, if you're thinking like eleven thirty. It's probably going to be like 11.40 this time, um, but I'll try to keep you engaged, lean in, don't look at the clock. Uh, I'll let you know when it's over, and, and you'll, be, you'll be fine. So hopefully you brought some crackers or something. Uh, there's, there's extra communion uh, stuff. Don't do that. I'm just kidding. Um, don't, don't do that. Um, so what, what, I, what I want you to have, I, I want you to wake up tomorrow morning filled with joy. Anybody else want that? Anybody would love to wake up on a Monday morning and just be filled with joy? And some of you are like, no problem. I wake up every morning filled with joy. I don't, I don't, I don't have to go to work or do anything. Like, no one tells me what to do. I just do kind of what I want. It's lovely. Um, most of us do not have that opportunity. And so waking up with joy on Monday morning can be tough for many of us. How do we, how do we get there? How do we become the kind of people who live with joy? So last week, we uh, presented this picture of Joy-like water. We looked at this map that shows the map of Israel, the Sea of Galilee to the north and the Dead Sea to the south. And we talked about that we have an inflow of joy, like the Sea of Galilee has the Jordan River flowing into it from the north. And our inflow of joy is our relationship with God through Jesus. And that is always there. It's always there. It's always present for us. God is always good. He always loves you. He's always for you. And he always is working to to bring us to new creation, to bring us to a place where all things are made new. Um, And so the Sea of Galilee has this inflow of joy, but it also has an outflow. And so the the Jordan River flows out of the Sea of Galilee, then down to the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea uh, gets this inflow, but the Dead Sea has no outflow. The Dead Sea is the lowest point around. So everything, all the water flows into it, no water flows out of it. And while the Sea of Galilee is full of life, fish and birds and, you know, abundance, the uh, the Dead Sea is, is, uh, guess what? It's dead. It's dead. You guys are smart. Uh, the Dead Sea is dead. I mean, there's no life there, and there's no outflow. So I believe that, that joy is like water for us. We need the inflow from our relationship with God through Christ, but we also need outflow in order to have a sustained high level of joy in our lives. And the outflow is counterintuitive. It's not the kind of things you think would bring you joy. Last week, we talked about compassion and how demonstrating compassion, paying attention to the needs of the lives of the people around you, and then acting to meet those needs actually increases your level of joy. When you do for others, increases your level of joy. And today we're going to talk about how sacrifice increases your joy. You're like, oh, no, no way. That's not how, that's not what sacrifice means. Like joy, we think joy means like No pain, no suffering, no problems, no inconvenience, right? No discomfort. In fact, isn't that kind of how we pray a lot of times? God, I have this pain. Would you take it away? God, I'm experiencing this difficult time. Would you bring it to an end? God, there are these people who are just inconvenient and annoying. Would you deal with them? 
discipline them, remove them from my path today so that I can have joy. But what we find as we read scripture and as we listen to the words of Jesus and we look at how Jesus lives, that's not actually how joy works. It's not the absence of pain. It's not the absence of suffering. It's not the absence of inconvenience and discomfort. Joy actually can come through sacrifice. Jesus made this connection multiple times. Uh, He said things to the disciples that I'm sure left them scratching their heads. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. They're like, Jesus, it sounded like you said trouble. I think what you meant to say was fun. You know, Jesus, you're awesome. You you do miracles. You feed people. You walk on water. I think what you meant to say, Jesus, was in this world, you will have, if you're with me, in this world, you will have fun. But that's not what he said. He said, in this world, you will have fun trouble. He said, the world is going to hate you because of me. Like, wait, 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 Jesus. It sounded like you said that the world is going to hate us because of you. But if we're, if we're like good people, if we, if we follow you, shouldn't the world love us? Shouldn't the world be so glad that Christians are here? He's like, well, they should, but they won't. The world is actually going to hate you because of me. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. And we're like, no, 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 Jesus. I think what you mean to say is blessed are those who actually get, you know, wealthy because of their righteousness or actually who get to retire early or who get a lot of leisure time or who get like lots of family members who love us and think we're the best. That's, that's what you, those are the people who are blessed because, right? He says, no, no, no. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And you're starting to get this picture that maybe Jesus and I think about joy differently, right? Yes, probably true. Maybe Jesus and I think about joy and sacrifice differently. And then, then he says this in John 15, 11 to 13. He says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Does that sound good? Do you want Jesus's joy in you? And you want to be filled up with Jesus's joy? Great. Here's all you have to do. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus says, you want to know the path to joy? Die. Like, what? No, no, no. (laughs) How can I have joy if I'm dead? Like, isn't isn't this life supposed to bring me joy? And Jesus is like, actually, 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 the best joy is yet to come. The best joy comes later. The best joy is through sacrifice. And I think, I think we can get on board with this idea in sort of like a Hollywood kind of way. Like if you think about the movies that, that we like to watch or the TV shows or the, or the books we like to read, often there's this hero, right, who is faced with this choice to selfishly live or to selflessly die, and their death is gonna save the world, right? It's, it's this one you know, hero between the asteroid that's gonna kill the planet, and then they get the chance to, I don't know, do something, laser it with their eyes, I don't know. And then, so, but then, like, in the process of, of, of saving the world, they die, but they die with a smile on their face because they know that their death brought joy to others, right? And we love that idea. In fact, we like to think of ourselves as that hero. I think, I could do, I could do that. I could be Bruce Willis. I could, I could be the person to sacrifice myself uh, to take out the asteroid so, so the world gets to live. But heaven forbid somebody drive 25 in a 30-mile-an-hour zone in front of you, right? 
right? Like we think I could sacrifice my life for the sake of, you know, the world. But heaven forbid, somebody asks you to wear a mask to go into their place of business. We're like, well, no, no, now you're getting personal. Our idea of joy and sacrifice might be different from Jesus's. So we need to ask some real questions about what does joy look like? What does sacrifice look like? How are these two connected in the life of a follower of Christ? So let's talk first about the Dead Sea habit that I think interrupts our sacrifice quite a bit. We talked, I introduced the idea of Dead Sea habits last week. This is going back to our picture of the map and the Dead Sea is the lowest point. It's where all the water flows, right? And nothing flows out of it. And Dead Sea habits are things that make us the low point where we want everything to come our way and we don't really give anything out and there's stagnation, there's, there's no life there, no abundance. So the Dead Sea habit I think interferes with our sacrifice is the habit of complaining. Complaining and sacrifice are incompatible. They don't really go together because sacrifice sort of starts with this assumption, this mentality that I have everything I need, therefore I'm free to give. I have everything I need, therefore I'm free to give. Sacrifice starts with that mentality, whereas complaining starts with the assumption that I don't have everything I need. In fact, I need things to go better. I need things to go my way, Complaining sort of assumes that the best life for me would be a life with no inconvenience, no discomfort, where people sort of do what I would want them to do, act like I would want them to act. And based on that definition of sacrifice and complaining, Christians should be like the last people on earth to complain, right? Because we know that in Christ, we have everything we need. But Christians are some of the best complainers on the planet. I mean, we've got it down to a science, right? I mean, guys, this, not this church, but other churches that I've been in, uh, I've heard some things. I've heard some complaints that I just, I've just thought, man, that's, that's taking complaining to a whole new level. You're like, you're like a professional. You've got a lot of experience and practice tied up in this complaint, not this church. Um, but other churches, you would hear things like, oh, I hate it when they turn the lights down. I just hate that when they turn the lights down and it's dark in there. Or um, I, it's always so cold. When I come in, it's always so, so chilly in here and I just hate that. Some of you are like, oops, said that 10 minutes ago. <laughs> I can't worship with these songs. You know, these songs are just, they're not my style. It's the wrong speed, it's the wrong volume, it's the wrong instrumentation. I'm just not being fed here, you know? That's just, somebody needs to do something about that baby. Christians are the best complainers. Friends, don't take your babies out of here. I love your babies. Let them cry. I don't, it doesn't bother me a bit, okay? But this is what we do. We complain, and you can see how complaining about things like that is a dead sea habit. That's like, oh, this is about me? Like, this whole thing is about me. And it should all go the way I want it to go. And when it doesn't, I have the right to complain and to be upset and be frustrated and annoyed by it. Guys, this is not about you. This is not about me. This is about one person and one person only. This is about Jesus. And our preferences really don't matter <laughs> that much, right? But we complain and complain uh, that just, it's incompatible with sacrifice. It puts us in a place where we can't think about um, giving to others. So here's what Paul says about complaining. We're, gonna, we're in Philippians again today. Remember, Philippians is kind of the, the joy letter. It's the letter where Paul talks so much about his own joy and he wants other people to rejoice and it's just, it's just on every page of this letter. 
And we remember that Paul wrote this letter while he was in prison, right? And you're like, well, I think if I were in prison, unjustly, innocently, I would have a right to complain, right? But what does Paul do? Paul expresses joy. And this is what he actually says in uh, Philippians 2.14, do everything without grumbling or arguing. And you're like, okay, if you, if you were just like some guy who, you know, everything sort of worked your way and you said that to me, I would, I would be annoyed with you. But this guy is in jail for doing what God told him to do. And he says, guys, just here, here's, here's how you deal with complaining. Just, just stop. Just quit. Just knock it off. Just don't do it anymore. That's, that's how you deal with complaining. And, and so let's uh, challenge ourselves. I just want to challenge you. And, and I, I kind of made this, gave this challenge to myself a few weeks ago uh, that I'm just going to cut complaining out of my life. And the mistake I made was sharing that commitment with my wife. If, if you want to know if you're com- a complaining person or not, just tell the person closest to you that, that you're not going to complain anymore. And then uh, see how that goes for a little while. Um, but I, I challenge you to cut complaining out. Cut complaining out. Complaining is getting in the way of your joy. I promise you it's interfering with your joy. So cut it out and tell someone that's close to you, hey, I'm, I'm going to knock off complaining and I would appreciate your help. That is a terrifying thing to say, by the way. Um, but I encourage you to do it anyway. It'll stretch you. It'll grow you and increase your joy. So let's talk about how Paul, instead of complaining, what did Paul do? Uh, He sacrificed. Let's look at Philippians 2, 17 and 18. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul says, you guys know what I'm going through, right? He He goes over this in chapter one. You guys know I'm in prison, you know why I'm in prison? It's not because I broke the law. It's, it's because I'm doing exactly what God told me to do. In fact, Paul was convinced that the mission of his life was to spread the gospel all over the Greek and Roman world and to plant churches all over the Greek and Roman world. How can he plant churches from prison? He can't. And so like the mission of his life has been put on hold and he's gotta be so frustrated and he's gotta be itching to get out of there. And what does he say? Even if I am being poured out like a drink offering, which sort of implies that maybe Paul thought he was going to die in prison. Like that's how this is going to end. I'm going to die. Even if that's the case, even if that's what happens to me. And so Paul acknowledges that he is making sacrifices for the mission, for the kingdom of God. It's costing him something to follow Jesus faithfully. He also acknowledges that it's costing the disciples in Philippi something to follow Jesus faithfully. He says, I'm being poured out on the sacrifice and service that comes from your faith. Your faith is costing you because these people were being persecuted for their faith. They were giving out of their own poverty, uh, which he, he mentions in 2 Corinthians. These people were, it was costing them something. And, and, and Paul says, so it's costing me a lot to follow Jesus. And it's costing you a lot to follow Jesus. So what are we going to do? Hey, let's rejoice. And we're like, wait a minute, that does not follow. That's, that does actually make logical sense. But that's how things work in the kingdom of God. We get to rejoice in our sacrifice because, because, because what Paul is sacrificing for is the thing that matters most. 
When we sacrifice for the thing that matters most, it elevates our joy in some weird, unexplainable way. When we sacrifice for the thing that matters most, it elevates our joy. So if it matters, make sacrifices. That, that's, that's Paul's call to you and me. If it matters, make sacrifices. And he lives this out uh, in, in, a, in a pretty dramatic way. So I, I want to share with you uh, from the next chapter, from chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, uh, how the, the extreme that Paul takes this to. So he starts off in, in chapter three talking about all the, thing, all the advantages that he was born with. He's basically saying, I was born with power and privilege. I was born with power and privilege. He was born into a, a family that was both Jewish and also had Roman citizenship. And he had this amazing teacher. He liked the best teacher for becoming a Pharisee that you could possibly have. And he had this pedigree that he, he could trace his line all the way back to the, the sons of, of Jacob. And he had all of this going for him. And I want you to hear what he says, but actually I want you to, I want you to stop for a minute. I want to think about all the advantages that you have in life. If you have a job, you have an advantage. If you have a plus uh, uh, positive in your, in your bank account, you have an advantage. If you have people in your life who love and support you, you have an advantage. I want you to think about all your advantages. And then I want you to read this. Uh, think about this as I read this as though you, you're saying this. Can you say this along with Paul? Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them, say it with me, garbage, which is a nice way to say what he actually said. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. And you can, you can hear the emotion in his voice as he writes this. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and, the, and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul considered all of his advantages, everything that gave him power and privilege was garbage compared to knowing Jesus. Why? What's so amazing about Jesus that everything else is garbage compared to him? Well, he only died to set you free. He only died to forgive your sins. He only died to bring you into the family of God and give you hope of experiencing the new creation the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. He only died so that you could do that. And so Paul says, hey, Jesus died for me. Jesus saved me. Jesus did all of this for me. Every advantage I have in life is garbage compared to knowing him. And if knowing him, Paul says, leads me to a cross, if knowing him leads me to sharing in the sufferings of Jesus, then bring it on because that is what matters most to me. And everything else is garbage compared to that. Well, that's, I mean, we kind of look at that, we go, that's kind of extreme, that's kind of extreme, isn't it? I mean, that's taking this pretty far. Everything else, all my gifts, all, all the good things in my life are garbage compared to, compared to knowing Jesus. But is it? Because the same Jesus that died for Paul is the same Jesus that died for you. The same freedom that Paul found in Christ is the same freedom available to you. The same Holy Spirit that filled Paul on a daily basis is the same Holy Spirit that fills you if you're a follower of Christ. 
The same future, the same destiny that Paul was so excited about, the new creation he was going to live in, is the same destiny that you have in Christ. So is it extreme? Is it extreme to say, whatever was to my profit, whatever gain I had, whatever power or privilege I was born into or has come my way, it is garbage next to knowing Jesus. Well, that's pretty extreme. But let's see if we can take a step in that direction today. I want to talk about three areas where I think we have all been given a gift. We have all been given an advantage, a privilege, a blessing. And I'm going to ask you along, along with me to, am I, am I prioritizing what matters most? Am I willing to sacrifice this gift for what matters most? So let's start with time. Let's start with time. Uh, time is a gift. The fact that you wake up every morning and you, and you breathe air and, and you can get up out of bed and move around is an absolute gift. And uh, to be precise, you, you have been gifted 168 hours every single week. And I'm going to give you 56 hours for sleeping. So that's about eight hours a night. Some of you are like, never slept eight hours. Or some of you are like, man, I couldn't survive on eight hours. But that's an average, eight hours. You get four, I'm going to give you 45 hours for work. And some of you are like, I work way more than 45 hours. And other people are like, I haven't worked 45 hours in the last month. So good for you. Um, but on average, 45 hours. So what's, what that leaves you with is 67 hours. In, in general, on average, 67 hours a week is your discretionary time. And some of you are like, no way I have that much discretionary time. Like discretionary time sounds to me like I can just sit here and do nothing if I want to. That sounds like discretionary time. Well, discretionary time is every, every hour that you're not obligated to, for, to something that you didn't choose to do. And so if you don't have 67 hours a week, it's because you have made choices. You have, you have obligated yourself. You've committed yourself to doing other things with your time. I, I'm kind of at coming through a, a pretty busy season in my life where I've, I've had days when I felt like, man, I, I just would like to have a minute to just sit down, you know, with my own thoughts for a minute. Um, but the reason why my schedule has been squeezed is because of choices I have made, right? I chose uh, to be involved with my son's tennis team. That took a lot more time than I anticipated. <laughs> I chose to take some uh, graduate classes um, to get smarter so I can preach better to you guys. Like that is taking a lot of my time, but that's a choice that I made. These are all things that I have chosen with my 67 hours to do. So same for you. Time is a gift. That 67 hours is an incredible gift. And what we're tempted to do in the culture that we live in is to worship the gift instead of the giver. We're tempted to worship the gift instead of the giver. And, and so we protect our time. We guard our calendars with our lives. We want to carve out as much me time as we can possibly carve out. What if, what if the way to more joy in your life is not more me time, more leisure time, more comfort time? What if it's sacrifice? I know that if I'm going to get prayer and Bible reading in, in my day, I have to get up earlier than I want to get up. I just, I just have to. I can't sleep as late as I would like to sleep if I'm going to get that in, so I get up earlier. Because if I sacrifice for what matters most, man, I, I, find, that, I find that I live with more joy. I know that if I'm going to dedicate um, 
a time to microchurch every week um, that I, I'm going to have to sacrifice. There are going to be some things that I just don't get to do. There are going to be some baseball games I don't get to watch. Uh, there'll be, you know, projects at the house that get interrupted. There, there are going to be sacrifices if I'm going to commit to my microchurch. But I know that when I make that sacrifice, the time I spend with those people and the encouragement that I get from being around them, oh man, my, my joy is going up. When we sacrifice for what matters most, when we worship the giver and not the gift, that sacrifice is the pathway to joy. And I, I want for myself and I want for you to be able to say along with Paul that whatever gain I had, whatever time I was gifted is garbage next to knowing Jesus. All right, uh, that's time. Let's talk about money. <laughs> this will be quick. Uh, how much do you have? Do you know how much you have? Don't, I don't, don't tell me. Like, I don't, I don't need to know. But most, most people, you know, you, you can think like in our bank account and that thing and that thing. And like, here's how much I think I have. Um, if your number is more than zero, what a gift, right? What an absolute gift. Do you know how many millions of people on the planet do not have more than zero, right? Or, or a bank account or a job or a way to earn money every day. If you have more than zero, what an absolute gift. And in our culture, we are so tempted to worship the gift instead of the giver. And we guard it and we protect it and we store it up and we decide, what, how can this be for me? How can this do for me? How can this, because we think, we think the world has twisted this and the enemy has twisted this to make us think that the more we get and the more we can spend ourselves and the more we can, we can accumulate and the more we can store up for the future, the happier and the more joyful we'll be. When Paul says, whatever gift I've been given, whatever advantage I have, however much money is in my bank account, I consider it garbage next to knowing Jesus. So how do, we, how do we prove that we're worshiping the giver and not the gift when it comes to our money? Make sacrifices. And, and we, we can shift our mentality from saying I have to to I get to. Instead of thinking, well, if I, if I want to be a good Christian and if I don't want to feel guilty every time I go to church, I should give money to the church. I have to give money to the church. When instead we can think I get to invest in the kingdom work that's happening through Cicero Christian Church with the, the more than zero that God has gifted me with. Or I get to come alongside of people who don't have enough food to eat or don't have good education or don't have good clothes to wear or don't have good housing. I get to come alongside them and partner with them and invest in them because God has given me more than zero. I get to do that. And when I make a sacrifice for what matters most, when it costs me something to be obedient to Jesus, man, that's a pathway to joy. And it's not intuitive, and it's not the way of the world. Okay, it feels like if you felt like it's gotten personal, um, not yet. Now, now it's going to get personal. Here's the last thing I want to talk about that I think uh, we're an area where we're tempted to worship the gift and not the giver. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach, say this, and I'm going to leave out the back door. Uh, let's talk about your children and your grandchildren. Guys, children are an absolute gift. What a blessing. I mean, if you have children, you know this. If you have grandchildren, you know that your kids, you're not sure that they were always a gift, but those grandkids, now that's a gift, right? I'm getting some amens. What a gift. And it is so tempting in the world we live in to worship the gift instead of the giver. 
Guys, you make sacrifices for your kids and grandkids. I know you do. For your nieces and nephews and for any kids that you get a chance to have influence with, you make sacrifices. You make sacrifices so they can, they can play sports. You make sacrifices so they can be in band. You make sacrifices so they can do dance and drama. And you, you make so many sacrifices for your kids. When it comes to your kids, what matters most? I, I'm in a stage right now um, where uh, I'm, I'm challenged by this. I have a senior, and it's, it's tempting sometimes to think that what matters most is get that boy some scholarship dollars. Like, that feels like it's what matters most right now. Like, he wants to go to college, and I want him to go to college, but he needs some scholarship dollars if that's going to happen. But what matters most is that my boys know that God loves them, that Jesus died for their sins, and he rose from the dead, and they're invited into a life of peace and joy and purpose with Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's what matters most. And if he gets zero scholarship dollars, but he gets that, he'll be just fine. Just fine. When it comes to your kids, what matters most? We make sacrifices for a lot of things that matter, but where do you sacrifice for what matters most when it comes to your kids and your grandkids. I just want to encourage you. You have some opportunities. So here's, here's just a couple of challenges um, to prove to yourself, to your kids, and to God that you're worshiping the giver and not the gift. Make sure, make sure you take time to talk to any children that you have influence with, kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews. Make sure you take time to talk to them about Jesus. You have an opportunity to teach a child how to pray how to read God's word. Man, make the most of that. You have an opportunity to teach them how to see the gifts that they've been given, their time and their money. You have an opportunity to teach them how to worship the, the giver and not the gift. You, you have an opportunity to teach them what it looks like to make sacrifices of your time and your money for the sake of what matters most. And they get to see you live with unprecedented levels of joy when you do that. These words of Paul just sort of haunt me. <laughs> Man, all this stuff that was to my gain. I was born with all that, and it would be easy to think all of the stuff I was born with, the power and the privilege or, or, the, or the, the time or the family or the money or whatever it is that God has put in my life, this, this, is, this is God's gift to me so that I can use it to have a great life. But Paul's perspective was, nope, it's all garbage next to knowing Jesus. If I can leverage any gift that God has given me to get closer to Jesus or to get somebody else closer to Jesus, that's where it's at. That's where it's at. I'm gonna leverage whatever gift he's given me. I'm gonna leverage my time to get me closer, to take other people closer. I'm gonna leverage my money to get me closer, to take other people closer. And I'm gonna invest in my kids and someday my grandkids, right? In ways that take them closer to Jesus. When we sacrifice for what matters most, man, it just elevates our joy. I want you to wake up with joy on Monday morning. But the path to that might be sacrifice. They're worth it. Would you stand with me? We're going to close. 1140, I nailed it, by the way.
we're just going to take this prayer uh, to God together. Um, you have been given gifts. You, you, have, you have been given things that you, you did not deserve. Maybe it's, maybe it's extra time. Maybe it's extra money. And you're like, no, I worked for that money. Well, no, God gave you that money and the job to earn it, whatever. You've been given children, grandchildren, kids in your life, family to love. And I just, I just want us to take a moment to offer these things before God and worship the giver. Would you, would you hold your hands out like this with me? This is all your stuff. This is the things you've been given. This is your, this is your gifts, the privilege, the benefits, the advantages that you have in life. And we're just gonna offer this stuff to God this morning. I invite you to do this with me. Father, thank you. You've given me so much. I'm so grateful. My prayer is that when it comes to the time that you've given me, I would, I would worship you with it. And I'd be willing to make sacrifices with my time for the sake of knowing Jesus and becoming like him, bringing other people close to him. God, when it comes to the money that you've given me, I want to worship you with it. And I pray that you would take the sacrifices I make with it and draw me closer to you and draw other people closer to you. God, thank you for my children. My prayer is that you would take the little bit of influence that I have with them. You would leverage it to draw them close to Jesus. Through these sacrifices, I trust in your promise that you will bring me joy. In Christ's name, amen. Brothers and sisters, go be salt and light into a world that desperately needs the hope of Jesus. God bless.